Welcome, friends. Welcome to our UFO website. Tonight, <laughs> tonight we're going to talk about the uh, the big lie that uh, has been continuing and uh, probably is still continuing intensely today. And uh, it has changed its uh, title over the years, but uh, nevertheless, it's still uh, top secret. And um, we're going to talk about the, uh, the follow-up document which uh, preceded the uh, Majestic 12 document that we spoke about in previous episodes. And what else are we going to be covering? There's something else too, isn't there? We're going to also, we're going to talk a little bit and maybe a lot about the ancient astronaut theory, uh, which uh, Eric Von Daniken uh, is uh, very uh, behind. And uh, between uh, Eric Von Daniken and uh, Stanton Friedman, we have the two biggest stories of uh, a lifetime, actually. And uh, these two individuals uh, are uh, very responsible for uh, bringing the awareness uh, to lots of other people, including me. And um, the connection between the two theories are hard to comprehend, but yet uh, very interesting when you start to uh, realize that they're is a connection and you mean the 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 bridging of the two theories uh between like your post-war uh modern the government uh blocking of the truth and hiding and uh misinformation versus uh what's what's in our archaeology from thousands of years ago Mm -hmm. the uh uh, the reason I got into the, the subject uh, was from the Von Daniken point of view originally. Uh, I had no interest in uh, the subject of UFOs. When I uh, started reading about Von Daniken's theory, and that was in uh, back in 1970, it's quite a long time ago, and uh, today I'm quite involved with both subjects and uh, both theories to uh, a great uh, deal. And I do lectures around Long Island on the subject, and I talk about both, uh, both theories. Sometimes uh, I get good, some good questions from the audience. I think it's very intriguing, too. You know, it, it is um, uh, a, uh, people have an interest when you start looking at some of the symbol- symbology, you know, the symbols, the the different uh, hieroglyphics, um, where all that stuff originated. And then you have this guy that comes in and just looks at everything in a totally different way than what most people had done before. There were a couple of other books, I think one by a Frenchman or they may have, uh, I think it was another was European as well, but he had a way of describing things that, that really gained the the interest of the of the public right he sold like 60 million books <laughs> yes von Daniken's book had a catchy title and i think uh the title catching uh That's the name of, part the, of it. the book had a, had a way of grabbing the attention of people because uh, other books that i purchased after uh i got involved with von Daniken's theory uh 
had had good titles, you know, and and touched on the subject in, in great detail. But uh, Bontanikin's book uh, just grabbed uh, the attention a lot, a uh, lot broader. And it's chariots like, of the gods. Chariots of the gods. And the question he posed, right? Wasn't yeah. there a, the subtitle or, or? Well, well, the the uh, the, the sub the book led to the uh, finding of a, a, a series on TV called In Search of which starred uh, Leonard Nimoy from uh, Star Trek uh, fame. And uh, In Search of series had many years of uh, continued success and uh, carried Von Daniken's theory uh, forward. Uh, he, he produced many books after uh, Chariots of the Gods, mm -hmm. which uh, covered different locations on the planet that uh, involved uh, his theory. And uh, more and more people that had uh, f uh, had background in fields uh, of archaeology and uh, different sciences took took von Daniken's theory uh, and looked at it a lot deeper. And you mentioned the you had people asking you questions on on tour when you go and do these these um, uh, when you appear live and, and do your your talks. Um, we did have a question. We kind of got ahead of ourselves here because look what the question is from Alan Brown, who emailed us at UFOs Top Secret at ProtonMail.com. says, do you believe in Eric Von Daniken's theory that ancient civilizations on Earth have been visited by extraterrestrial beings from outer space? All, all the uh, indications are that um, a misinterpretation of technology led to the uh, misidentification of mm. visits that we were we were looked at uh, as a uh, as a place of interest and uh, when you look at the different uh, customs around the world there's uh, patterns to them uh, for instance, okay, the, you're saying customs, but oh, are you you kind of mean religions? Yeah, they're they're, they're the early beliefs, uh, that, their faith in 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 these technologies that they look at as a uh, a dragon. the The Chinese are are very involved in uh, using the dragon in their ancient symbols, and when you look at the Mayans, they also use the dragon flying serpents why would two cultures on separate sides of the world who had no telephones and no way to communicate pick pick those two uh, egypt as well and and uh, and the mayans in uh, south central america in central america and south america they 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 chose these flying objects for for adoration and and uh, and uh, praying to them and hoping that they will bring them prosperity and um it's just a, it's just an amazing uh story it's not an easy story to to really understand i mean it takes uh uh quite a lot of uh reading uh, which uh, i did and and that's why <laughs> i i understood the the complexity of of trying to to see the patterns in in different cultures that had this uh, religious aspect towards these flying uh, objects, uh, the, the dragon or the serpent, 
and, and how much attention that they gave to these these objects of, of flying uh, creatures. Uh, the serpent in Mexico, which was uh, called uh, Khan, they built a pyramid which had a, uh, a pyramidal uh, serpent-like uh, on the edge of the pyramid, which could only be seen at a certain time of the year, and the shadow of the uh, serpent would dwindle down the pyramid to the bottom. And at the other part of the year, the shadow would move upward. And that, that's a pretty astounding accomplishment to achieve using shadowing and uh, a different locations. Yeah, times I, I, I of the year. I don't think it was discovered until the 1950s. And then we haven't really, it, it was later that someone broke the code on some of the hieroglyphics in the first place to where now they, they know more. We know more now than we did back then. Oh, I mean, yeah. Obviously, for, for since then, I would say. Back uh, years ago, what we did was we scratched our head, and, and we just uh, we just uh, didn't know. When people asked, we said, uh, we don't know. You know, we, we, we the gods uh, did it, and this is what uh, we were told from the people that lived in the area. That's why they, they built these, uh, these uh, areas to... Uh, adore and to, I just, yeah, uh, pay special I think, attention to. I think you just have to keep an open mind. You know, if most people believe in a higher power of some kind, right? So you have to keep an open mind of what that is. Is it a higher technological power, a higher intellectual power, a higher spiritual power? It may be all of those things. Yeah. I mean, if it, it, it's and and how, how, how do we know that our human brain can even contemplate what all that is, is made up of? So what if it's a higher power from a different planet? Just saying, just putting that out there. And I will add to, to what you just said, if you think it's a good time to play a little bit of from Ezekiel. Oh, yes. Uh, we, we, we got a little piece that we were going to play, which is uh, a description of uh, the prophet Ezekiel in the Old Testament. And, and in particular this part about the wheel in the sky. Yes, as it approached and how uh, how it was interpreted. Yeah, just take a, take a listen to this. In the fifth day of the month, as I was among the captives by the river of Kibar, that the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. And I looked and behold, a whirlwind came out of the north, a great cloud, and a fire enfolding itself, and a brightness was about it, and out of the midst thereof as the color of amber out of the midst of the fire. Also out of the midst thereof came the likeness of four living creatures, and this was their appearance. They had the likeness of a man. And every one had four faces, and every one had four wings. And they had the hands of a man under their wings on their four sides. As for the likeness of their faces, they four had the face of a man, and the face of a lion on the right side. And they four had the face of an ox on the left side. They four also had the face of an eagle. 
Thus were their faces, and their wings were stretched upward. Two wings of every one were joined one to another, and two covered their bodies. And their feet were straight feet, and the sole of their feet was like the sole of a calf's foot, and they sparkled like the color of burnished brass. And their whole body, and their backs, and their hands, and their wings were full of eyes round about. Okay, I'm, I'm just going to pause right there for a second. Amazing though, right? That that's in the Old Testament. Yeah, when you think about what they're trying to describe, even though it, it sounds like it's not a technological device it actually is because of the use of the the words and the explanation as close to what they can compare it to in in their time don't forget we're talking about a non-technological era which which is being exposed to a a technological device like what the else? eyes, the eyes all over. The eyes all over. What are they? What are they supposed to think of as eyes? I mean, these are lights. These are these are. There were no lights back then, unless you believe the pyramid was was a generator, which is something we'll talk about later. <laughs> well, what else would you call a light? You call them eyes. Well, they they had torches back then. Yeah, but they would be called torches, you know. <laughs> right, right, right. And that's to your point. Let's okay, let's hear the we haven't even gotten to the wheel inside the wheel part, which is coming up here. So let's check it out. As for the likeness of the living creatures, their appearance was like burning coals of fire, like the appearance of torches. And the living creatures ran and returned as the appearance of a flash of lightning when they stood they let down their wings and when they went i heard the noise of their wings like the noise of great waters as the voice of the almighty a tumultuous noise as the noise of a host This is the living creature that I saw under the God of Israel by the river of Kibar, and I knew that they were the cherubims. And I looked, and behold, four wheels beside the cherubim, one wheel beside one cherub, and another wheel beside another cherub. Wheels. And the appearance of the wheels was as the look of a chrysolite stone. And they four had one likeness, and their appearance and their work was as it were a wheel in the middle of a wheel. As for their rims, they were high and dreadful, and they four had their rims full of eyes round about. More lights, right, Rob? When the living creatures went, the wheels went beside them. And when the living creatures were lifted up from the earth, the wheels were lifted up. Wherever the spirit was to go, they went. 
there was the Spirit to go, and the wheels were lifted up beside them, for the Spirit of the living creature was in the wheels. When they went, they went in their four directions. They didn't turn as they went, but to the place where the head looked, they followed it. Amazing how, how difficult it is to explain something that uh, you don't don't know what it is. You know, <laughs> um, it's it's the detail in the uh, the description is so hard to really comprehend what what she's talking about that it sounds like you know it sounds like nonsense, but in in retrospect to today's. You know, we live in a technological age, so we can reflect back and, and, and interpret this completely different. And that's exactly what Von Daniken did. And that's it opened his eyes to the possibility that the Old Testament is the biggest flying saucer book of them all. <laughs> because if, if you look through different prophets in the Old Testament, uh, 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 Elijah, uh, Isaiah, there's, there's confrontations. Well, now Bibles are going to be flying off the shelf. Now you just did a big advertising job there. So what they, what they, what they, <laughs> what they interpreted. Each, each prophet is a journal. Okay, it's a com. A com the, the Old Testament is a compilation of of, of journals by different individuals over the ages so each each interpretation of of what they experienced in their day was brought into the old testament because it involved something that they couldn't explain so they interpreted as they were dealing with god but yeah. but god turned out to be something that was more technological and because they, they couldn't understand what they were uh, seeing, they called it the Holy Spirit. They're not going to call it a spacecraft because they don't, they don't, they don't know what those words are. The, the, word, the vocabulary at the time didn't, didn't, didn't. Well, open. I think, and that's where the controversy comes from, right? With Von Daniken. Let's talk about that for a moment here. There, you know, Many of you out there have heard of Von Daniken's theories, have heard of the Chariots of the Gods and some of his other books. You've maybe seen him on TV and various shows through the years. He's a respected expert, but there's also the torpedoing of his, <laughs> you know, of his image early on. And um, oh, he was attacked terribly when he first came out with his book and his theories. Uh, it, it, it laughed took, off, laughed it, off. It, it slacked off because eventually more and more people started to say, well, maybe it's possible. Maybe what he is suggesting is true. So people got uh, into it and started studying uh, his theory, and uh, including uh, myself, which uh, led a very... Uh, a detailed uh, research into his theories uh, by reading other authors and seeing how they compare to Von Daniken's theory. And uh, most of them did uh, 
agree with his theories. So uh, the whole theory of mankind being visited in the ancient past by a, uh, a superior race, which uh, may have, you know, created us in their image and likeness, you know, leads leads a lot of people to uh, to think of uh, our creation uh, as something more than uh, <laughs> just a, 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 a holy spirit, which. You know, I you know I hate to disturb the religious points of view with this uh, von Daniken theory, but uh, it does dig into. Well, yeah, I think it bridges on spirituality, but it also bridges on archaeology, right? On the it other brings, side, yeah, it brings archaeology. What's, I mean, we're talking about things that are here on Earth, and we're in in messages left by way of hieroglyphics or potentially mathematical messages yeah there's all sorts of uh clues to uh us as a planet being visited because of uh clues that involve mathematics uh uh, arc, uh astronomy and uh th these things can't be answered uh easily uh the, the locations of, of areas on our planet that have structures that are enormous, massive uh, for, for moving and transporting have never been explained uh, by, uh, you know, archaeology. Okay, and there's, 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 they're in Mexico, they're in South and Central America, but let's go to the big one. Why not? The big pyramid, the big daddy. Well, the Big Daddy on in uh, Egypt and Cairo is uh, is a lot of focus on it because of its uh, its enormity and uh, two uh, two and a half million stones. Oh, it's over two hundred. Uh, is it two hundred uh, million tons? <laughs> Something to that. I haven't uh, put any of it on a weight a scale, but uh, the average uh, stone is. Over two tons each. Two, yeah, and, and we didn't have any uh, cranes and uh, vehicles to move these these structures. Or uh, did we? Yeah, if we did, uh, there's nothing around. We have no trucks that we found. Uh, they came the, and uh, left. They uh, would have had to place those rocks into place into a wheel inside a wheel and just come on down. <laughs> Bring them on down, baby. Those those <laughs> rocks would be. Uh, have to be placed into position uh, in order to be built in 20 years. They'd have to be placed in, in position one every 90 seconds. Yeah, and, that ain't happening. Not, that's not going to uh, happen. Some, uh, some of the stones at the top, I think, are coming from uh, more than 500 miles away. Mm -hmm. now, also, the, the location of the pyramid is not just any area in the middle of the desert. I mean... Uh, uh, in hindsight, uh, we've used satellites and uh, and uh, calculations, and we have found that the the Great Pyramid in Egypt is is in the exact center of the land masses, and that the uh, the uh, meridian that runs through Greenwich uh, should actually be running through Giza, because the accuracy of the meridian is hmm. is 
more accurate uh, as it runs through Giza than it runs I through. I believe it's pointing at Orion, or the three different pyramids are pointing at different points in Orion? Yeah, the three pyramids that are in the Giza Plateau are all uh, in alignment with the uh, the star system Orion. And? And how would have that have been And mathematically? And it also involves pi r square, which is a, a mathematical uh, wonder. I mean, uh, talk about mathematics in school. I mean, <laughs> that was that was one of the most difficult subjects for me, mathematics. So uh, when I when I when I found out that uh, pi r square was involved in the building of the pyramid, and uh, I was like, wow, that that, that, that really from? is mysterious. It really is. I mean, that's uh, I don't even know what to think, but it's very. Uh, impactful <laughs> well all the all the the the, uh, the people in, in ancient greek who in greece who were uh, uh specialists in in mathematics you know we have uh uh several that are famous uh i guess aristotle and socrates and all yes they all those, those, contribute those, some, those individuals the philosophers at least yes they i mean they achieved uh knowledge about uh, these mathematics but yet the pyramids were already up <laughs> So where did the formation of these uh, calculations come from? Uh, and then when you take a look at the pyramid in uh, Tijuana, Mexico, and the, the location uh, of those pyramids, they are uh, they're also very interesting in that they, they align with star systems uh, astronomically. I mean, why why build a, something that has to do with the star systems? Well, I mean, we didn't build the Empire State Building, according in, to in uh, completely different parts of the world before human travel was really, you know, happening. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't like uh, this is uh, you know uh, this is uh, gr uh, the great visiting area, you know. So let's build it here. Well, you one know. of the one of the things that you you've showed me several times that just really is to me uh, is one of the big ones that I just can't get over is the way that the rocks in the pyramid in Giza, but also the the pyramids that are in in other places in South and Central America, the way that the rocks are just laying upon each other and around each other in an airtight way in contouring each other. These are not bricks. They're not, they were not made in a mold. They're all different sizes, all different shapes, all, you know, and the, and the way that they all are all put together was that they're perfectly cut to be With airtight. With no cement. On top, bottom, left, right, up, you know, front and back. With no cement. And With no amazing. cement. And it's for, and it's the only seven, it's this one of the seven, it's the only one of the seven wonders that's still standing. So how and, and so how was that built with no cement, with no cement? In uh, an area in South America, it's called Satsayawaman, and the, the stones uh, in that location mm -hmm. are put together with thirty-five different angles to them, which have no mortar, and uh, I mean it's just a, a mind boggling and on, on how that they were placed, how they were cut mm -hmm. and fitted together 
and and still stand it's, after it's earthquakes. Such, it's such a simple kind kind of detail to look at, but <laughs> you have to look at when you're seeing these images and or you see it close up firsthand. It's it's really amazing to think about that. There's another place in um, South America in uh, Peru which has stones that look like they were cut by Frank Lloyd Wright, <laughs> which uh, have uh, inside cuts uh, on a triangular shape. You uh, could never have... It's like modular. You couldn't have way. done it with a, with a chisel and a hammer. <laughs> that looks like some fan fancier than Home Depot would even have today. So it's used in drawers. So let's talk about some of the theories about the Giza Pyramid. Just to, let's let's just maybe go out there on a limb and have a little fun. What what if you really wanted to talk about what some of the theories are of what the pyramid is? Like we talked about before, a sundial that uh, that it makes a shadow only on the equinox twice a year. Mm -hmm. It has uh, multiple sides. Um, it's not a four sided object. The the Great Pyramid is actually, it's got eight sides because halfway down uh, each side, the, the angle of the side goes inward by maybe, maybe two or three degrees. Right. So there's like a very slight crease. But you can't really, you don't really notice it with uh, just unless you're by. above it in a, in a helicopter <laughs> mm -hmm. and looking straight directly down. Uh, you're not going to see that angle. But when when helicopters and airplanes flew over this uh, pyramid, it took pictures of it. Yeah, but it back when they had the sticks and stones to build this with, you know, they, just, they didn't have that. You know, yeah. they just uh... <laughs> how did they how did they accomplish an angle change oh, no problem it's just a little yeah uh, just a minor uh, re uh really easy change we just take uh, my alien laser yeah. cutter out and just have at it man yeah. just it, it, he's gonna take it with him when he goes back but you know he's letting me use it right now yeah, there's so many strange things about the uh the giza pyramid uh also the another funny uh funny thing about it is the the pyramid in Mexico has uh, a measurement of the base width is uh, probably maybe maybe one foot different or two feet different from the pyramid in Giza. And that's 720 feet uh, on each side. And the pyramid in Mexico is approximately the same square footage uh, which is hard to uh, understand how how those two areas use those numbers for for the dimensions of the pyramid i mean what did they do hey yo what are you using over there <laughs> 720 feet for your uh, right no, side they took a coke bottle put the note in there shoved the cork in it and kerplunk, and then you know it's a couple about 20 30 years later it came back so so all right I, I got one for you though with uh because you you brought up uh chris dunn can mm -hmm. i share uh yes chris dunn that? is another amazing uh, researcher who has he has done work on the uh the pyramid and the the different chambers that are in the pyramid and 
They indicate that the pyramid uh, had some exposure to sulfuric acid and um, combined with a, another uh, element, uh, another liquid. You know a lot about this stuff. Let's play this, and then we're going to come back, and, and I want you to, uh, Listen to, to, to explain some Dunn's of this. Engineer Chris Dunn believes the answer can be found by further examination of the shafts in what some call the Queen's Chamber where traces of zinc and hydrochloric acid have been discovered. I believe the chemical coming in through the northern shaft was hydrated zinc, and the other chemical coming through the southern shaft and into the chamber was dilute hydrochloric acid. These are actually seen on the chamber walls. Dunn suggests that the two chemicals were poured down through the shafts and then mixed together inside the queen's chamber, triggering combustion. Well, this vessel represents the queen's chamber. Into the tubes, we're going to pour hydrated zinc and then hydrochloric acid. When you bring these two liquids together and a chemical reaction occurs, and a product of that chemical reaction is hydrogen. And you can see the vapor, the hydrogen, escaping through the chimney. And there you have the reaction. Dunn speculates that the hydrogen gas traveled from the Queen's Chamber into the King's Chamber. Then, the vibrations from the subterranean pool energized the hydrogen atoms into a microwave energy beam. The evidence that indicates the use of hydrogen can be found in the King's Chamber. There is a shaft in the King's Chamber has dimensions of 8.4 by 4.8, which would be suitable for a waveguide for a maser or microwave amplification through stimulated emission radiation. And from there, we can actually propose many different ideas of what they did with it. <laughs> wow. That's a little over my head at the end there, but. Uh, well, he's you, saying, you, he's basically you, saying. You, know, you, you need to realize that we live in a technological age, so now we can comprehend a lot of the things that we overlooked in the past. That's a good because point. we didn't know what we were looking at. And now we have the ability to re-examine things that seem magical. Okay, for example, though, if they had electricity back then, then it's believed that there would have been some light provided, right? A light source inside the pyramid, because as you have explained to me, they didn't find any any soot from torches. There was no evidence of what would normally be seen in an indoor habitated place mm -hmm. of that time, chemical-wise, on the walls and ceiling were not there. Yeah, and, and the fact that, that to make these, uh, these hieroglyphics inside would take a, a substantial amount of time. So and a light so you source. you would need mm -hmm. uh, a torch. If a, if a uh, torch was used, it would definitely be spotted. You'd see you'd see soot marks someplace, 
even if it was a short period of time, but for over a long period of time, if you don't see any soot marks, then then the, the electrification must have been used. And they couldn't do it with mirrors bouncing sunlight off of uh, uh, the the setting sun because it's not like they, it had windows. Yeah, they did that in the <laughs> uh, the movie uh, Indiana Jones where they tried to replicate how how uh, mm-hmm. they moved uh, sunlight inside the chambers, but uh, it, it wouldn't work because the sun is moving constantly and it just uh, yeah. And if you get it wrong once, man, the way those cave walls come in at you and stuff, you know, you don't make it out alive. So. <laughs> You better get it right. Yeah, you'd be in there uh, running around in the dark. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so the, the the structures that lie around the world that are uh, an enigma to uh, researchers, especially archaeologists, because they can't figure out how these things were lifted. You know, if they if they were lightweight and made out of wood, maybe it would be a lot easier to uh, to figure out how everything was done. But because these structures, whether they're on Easter Island or whether they're in in uh, the pyramids of Egypt or the pyramids of Mexico, these 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 stones are uh, not not tiny. They're large, and the the fact that they are so large, and the people that were living at the time, according to research, didn't have that knowledge. You know, they they assumed that they pulled these things on sleds, dragged them across the the desert, but it just doesn't just doesn't fit the 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 technology that was used had to have been equal to the technology that was used to move them. To, uh, well, the only thing left on cell phones today is just time travel. I think once once I think the new iPhone is going to have time travel. We'll be right back, guys. Don't go anywhere. All right. I wanted to say one thing before we <clears throat> we start back again. Here is uh, we're going to move the live podcast section to six thirty on Tuesdays, and by eight p.m. it will be uploaded to all formats. So, just want to say for all you listeners out there, we appreciate all of you. It's been a lot of fun. This is our seventh episode, so we're still pretty new. We've got uh, a little bit of new equipment with the microphone and stuff. We're kind of excited about that, and. We're going to get an all-new time starting next Tuesday. We'll see you back here at 6.30 in the Podbeam live room. But we are going to got one more segment here. And um, so, Bob Bria, you you have a ton of books. I mean, I'm looking at them right here. It's like a library of UFO books and alien-related topics, right? Yes. Th- this this library of mine is, uh, is quite... Uh, enormous and uh, <laughs> it has the uh, evidence that uh, convinced me that uh, that our government has uh, kept this uh, subject from being taken serious so well mr Bria, you know i like to take things seriously right in so, your library the first time i saw your library it was so big it reminded me of the giza pyramid <laughs> so let's get serious now 
what I'm going to do is, uh, since I have such a large book uh, collection, I, I, I like to recommend a few books uh, to uh, read and uh, see if you can find them. Some of these are rare, so they're out of print, and you'll never be able to get a hold of them. So right, give us a few. I'll, I'll give you some of the newer ones that uh, I feel are, are pretty uh, relevant to the subject. Uh, one of them is uh, Dr. J. Allen Hynek. It's called The UFO Experience. H-Y-N-E-K. H-Y-N-E-K. Now, Dr. J. Allen Hynek wrote this book in 1972, and he, he's the... Uh, the doctor who uh, invented the term close encounters of the third kind. Oh. So it, he, he was the consultant to, uh -huh. uh, to Heine, to uh, Steven Spielberg's right. movie, Close Encounters. And uh, he was also the project uh, head of uh, Project Blue Book for the United States Air Force in the 60s. So that's a... Uh, what was the name of his book? The UFO Experience. Oh, Yeah. Another one that I'd like to recommend is uh, Project, uh, yeah, hold on a second, um, we've got um, The UFO Cover-Up, Clear Intent by Fawcett and Greenwood on Prince Hall Books. Prentice Hall, that's a Fawcett, F-A-W-C-E-T-T -T and Greenwood, The UFO Cover-Up, Clear, clear intent. intent. It mm. was written in 1984. I mean, that's that that's kind of what your podcast is about here, too, isn't it? The the cover up and how the cover up is, you know, how the, what do they say? The cover up is bigger than the crime sometimes, right? Mm -hmm. And in this case, there are so many different angles to the cover up and different examples that it sure makes you believe they're covering up something. Mm-hmm. And that's what if you if you, if you if you get a hold of some of the good books that 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 don't uh, give you some of the uh, the baloney that's that's been printed about the subject, and you get a good a good author who who is uh, committed to uh, giving you the truth. Uh, for instance, Above Top Secret by Timothy Good, written in 1988 on uh, Quill Quill Books. Above top secret, because this topic is uh, the topic of UFOs was uh, is two levels above top secret, actually, right? Yeah, it sure is. And uh, the other one is but is uh, top secret magic by uh, Stanton T. Friedman. If you can uh, get a, if you get a hold of his book, mm -hmm. that would be great. Um, so. Um, I think that most listeners that are interested in this topic can can probably decipher, can probably read through pretty quick to figure out when someone is really torpedoing a concept, right? Like that is part of the cover up as well, especially in the day of social media. People get smeared the second they do something or don't do something mm -hmm. or almost for nothing or for your beliefs or for something you said on a social media platform. So we know that there are also paid operatives. We know that there are publicity, there are publicists who are hired by different governmental agencies. That would be expected. It's called publicity, right? Mm -hmm. So 
let's go to go a step further and just go ahead and control what's going on that TV station as well. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of collusion in the media in general. It's in fewer and fewer hands, right? So the messaging, I mean, a lot of people are excited about this UFO topic. Oh, we're going to have discovery. Is it coming out there? They're starting to leak some videos out and blah, blah, blah. But I still say it's controlling the narrative. Otherwise, they would have come out with it a, a long time ago. <laughs> you know, uh, the, the biggest story in the last thousand years is that uh, we're not alone. And uh, bringing that awareness to the public has been uh, kept uh, by our government for various reasons. And one of the reasons is panic. You know, we, we, we get, we get, uh, uh, panicky. No, when I we, think we it's can't good. Get, it's good to know. I'm not all alone. All this time. I thought I was alone. We have panic when we go to the gas station and it's closed because they, <laughs> they didn't make a delivery. Could you imagine if, if we, if we were being told that, uh, these, these creatures are picking people up at their own, will and giving them examinations and then releasing them i mean this is not going to go down well with the uh, the world's uh, population that's why this subject is one of the reasons why this subject is top secret and it will continue to stay top secret until such time as uh we're, we're told more of what's going on and uh until next week maybe we'll talk about the pilot accounts next week we will talk uh, next week more about the pilots' report and their continued uh, uh, account willingness to talk about this. Ah. After being blocked for so many years, yeah, after being told <laughs> not to talk about it, why are they willing to talk about it? Isn't that usually the case? Mm -hmm. So, as always, you can reach us at UFOs Top Secret at protonmail.com. You have been listening to our resident expert, Bob Bria, talking about UFOs and related cover-ups. We shall be back next week to talk about, we're going to play some of those pilot accounts, and you're, you hear some of them in our entry and exit music here. But uh, what'd you like to send everybody home with, Mr. Bria? Uh, get a hold of some of those books that I recommend and uh, start reading. <laughs> Keep the mind open. Keep your mind open. And your eyes open, too. This is not an easy subject to understand. And don't forget to look up. <laughs>